Welcome to Stall Warning, a show talking all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Ponchito Ojeda. And joining with me are John Murray, the 101 Lacrosse NorCal director, and Jeremy Bonner, a former slinger at Casa Grande High School and a self-proclaimed teammate who, uh, in his words, needs no slide. Fellas, how are we doing today? Good, good. A nice, boring weekend in quarantine. <laughs> Feeling good, nice and, uh, nice and relaxed. The question is, who did you interact with this weekend during your quarantine process? Was there more than one person involved? A lot of FaceTime. <laughs> a lot of, lot of FaceTime. A lot of FaceTime with the fam. Uh, yeah, Zoom and FaceTime, yeah, all new, uh, whole new world of uh, virtual friendships. So, uh, fellas, so, you know, last week we talked about the PLL, and then it was announced that the season was postponed, which did not come in uh, unexpectedly to anybody, I don't think. Um, so instead of kind of moving forward with that, we're going to take a look back into the 2020 NCAA Division One season that was just getting started. You know, COVID-19 took that out, took away what, what was set to be kind of a pretty cool ending, I think. Um, but still, with the first six weeks and we had some epic games. And, uh, and so I thought we could take a look back here. And so let's, um, let's just kind of talk about the season uh, briefly before we get into the two areas we want to focus in on. So um, just kind of a quick recap. Jeremy, what do you think about the, this, year's, this year's season? How is it shaping up for you? Uh, something that I really noticed, I was wondering if you guys were feeling the same way. It felt like a lot of uh, college players are starting to play the game a little bit differently, almost a little bit closer to kind of college football. Now that we have the PLL, it, it was kind of like a lot of seniors and juniors were really striving to be the best possible athletes they could be. So they would have potential to go into the PLL. And that was something that that I kind of noticed and I thought was really, really cool. And I felt it was a great bonus to have in college across being such a great sport already having that kind of secondary push. What do you guys think about that? Is that just me? No, it's yeah, definitely no, no, interesting. I, I, <laughs> I think uh, a lot of uh, the exposure to the game, we're seeing stuff we've never seen before, almost on like a weekly basis. Um, like guys were saying, the first few games we saw more behind the backs, like passes and shots, than we did like 10 years ago in an entire season. Um, so it's really crazy how skilled these guys are and how they just have a bigger platform to just show off their skills on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, it feels like the athleticism that you talk about, Jeremy, is like a big a big focus. I know Yale always talks about that, like big weight room guys, big, big into strength training and stuff like that. But then also like, uh, which is very kind of football, kind of big, big sport like. And then uh, the also thing I think is like, how much do you think Lyle Thompson has infected this group of college players with like, there's a willingness to do things that are different, you know? Uh, I have a little, little opinion on that. Something uh, about that. It's very interesting because I know like I'm, I just graduated high school last year. So there's a lot of players from my age range and my class that are now in college, which is kind of what you're talking about. And it's interesting because like when I first started playing lacrosse, I'm pretty sure the second or third video I ever watched was the Thompson trio highlights from Albany. And I watched that video probably 15,000 times over and over and over again, just trying to practice and do the stuff that they were doing. 
PTDs for days. <laughs> I definitely would agree with you that they they brought a lot of creativity and excitement into the game that was kind of kind of lacking before. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was fun to see those guys make some some pretty cool runs. You know, unfortunately uh, for them, twice ended by Notre Dame's ten man ride, which also you know. Uh, probably had an impact on the game, given how many more people uh, pressure ride now. You know, it's kind of it's kind of funny how all that stuff fits together. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, the season's pretty good. John, John, what were your thoughts on this this season? Think it was going to be best ever? I I don't know if best ever, but it was definitely open. Uh, like we're going to talk later about our top teams, and there was just so many teams with potential this year, and it's a shame we couldn't get to see them finish it out, but. You know, there was five to eight teams this year that really looked like they had something good going for them. Uh, And I really enjoyed the parody, uh, the parody that any team could get hot and win this thing. Yeah, absolutely. That that totally reminds me of the PLL and and kind of the NFL, like, big, you know, those big time sports, right? Like that uh, any year could be your year. So. Um, you know, evidenced by, by many things. So speaking of any year being your year, we're going to talk about the top five games of the year. Uh, a game that didn't make the list, but certainly worth mentioning is the Marist over Army game, uh, early season W for the Red Foxes. Uh, you know, it would have been cool to find out if that was uh, kind of a flash in the pan or, or just Marist was legit. I know they're, they're working hard there um, in Poughkeepsie to, to keep growing their sport uh, or their team rather. Uh, but let's talk top five games of the year. Uh, we're going to start with number five and work our way down to what we believe is number one. So number five, we'll toss this one to you, John. Uh, Brown versus UVA. Uh, Brown wins in a 14-13 thriller. Thoughts yeah, this was, uh, this was a big game for Brown. They started off the first half. I think they were down 8-4 at one point. Um, it seemed like whenever UVA got the ball, they scored. And then Brown just kind of went on this run. It wasn't a quick run. It was one of those longer runs where they just maintained possession, had nice long possessions, kept the ball out of UVA's hands, and just crawled back. Um, and at the end of the game, this kind of seemed like Brown versus Matt Moore. Matt Moore had uh, seven goals in this game. He kind of put on a clinic on how to carry an offense, but in the end, it wasn't enough. Yes, yeah, uh, Phil Goss was outstanding in net, uh, a NorCal product. Yeah, stood on um, his head. Yeah, he, he's an amazing past couple of years. I hope that he plays again, although I, I have a feeling I haven't seen that he's going to. Um, moving on, number four is uh, the Minutemen over the Yale Bulldogs. Uh, a 13-10 win over t- – Yale was ranked number one at the time, and it was the first time in program history that the Minutemen had upset a number one team. Jeremy, what were your thoughts on this game where UMass kind of jumped out to an early lead and, and held on to, to win 13-10? Um. I I would kind of boil it down to a little bit. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, UMass really came out, and they ended up scoring – I'm sorry, uh, Yale had the first point of the game. Then it went to five or six unanswered goals from UMass, and it kind of seemed like Yale was just completely stunned at what was happening. Like they were not expecting for this team to come out and just start slapping them in the face like they did. It um, all in the first quarter, there was a total of six points in the force in the first quarter, and five of them were from the Minutemen. One was from the Yale Bulldogs. Going into the second quarter, 
it was pretty much the exact same thing. Literally one point from the Bulldogs, five points from the Minutemen. Going into the third quarter, the Bulldogs were starting to kind of kind of catch up in points, and then all of a sudden the game was just over, and it seemed like they kind of ran out of time to kind of pull it back. So I think it was a lot of just confident, confident, strong play from UMass, knowing that this team is – they're powerful and they have a lot of great players, but if you just stick to the game plan, you can and succeed. Yeah, not surprising. You know, Greg Canella is a uh, friend, tight friends with Andy Shea, and Andy Shea used to coach uh, under Canella at uh, UMass. So not surprised to see that the minimum were prepared. Um, more surprising to see Yale kind of stumble. But then again, they did that the past couple of years, and and they've certainly went on to be pretty good considering they made the national championship game both years. So, uh, you know, not, not totally over surprising there. Um, moving on to number three, uh, Syracuse uh, got, their, got their mojo back uh, and with a dominating win over Johns Hopkins. Obviously, Hopkins not a top five or top ten team, but I think more in the way in which they did it was, was what, were, what keyed us in on this game as being number three. John, what were your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts is this is definitely Syracuse is back on the map. These are two blue chip programs. Uh, so, you know, when Syracuse is good, they look really good. Um, and their middies came up to play in this game. I think they had the best midfield line in the country. And they had nine goals in this game. And if you can get your starting middies to score nine goals in a game, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, so I think that really stood out. You know, Stephen Rafis, his uh, feeding ability to be able to put up seven points and have them all be assists um, is really special. Chase Scanlon played exceptionally well off ball this game. Um, I think it was just a really well-rounded offensive performance by Syracuse against a Dave Petromalo coach team. Yeah. Hopkins, uh, you know, we were talking about this on the call before, before we started recording, you know, <laughs> I, I think Hopkins is only a few players away from being a top top 15 program they're, they're not too far away and without Epstein you know really hurt them a lot on offense and uh and so I, th I think this is a pretty 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 strong one for the Q's and uh you know hey they get Michael Sowers like all the Twitter people are reporting might happen uh look Word out street look out yeah all right number two game uh for us Jeremy Cornell over Penn State uh, I don't think anyone played defense or even if they tried to play defense it was damn near impossible uh, with Jeff Teat, Grant Amant, Mac O'Keefe, um, you know, a ton of talent on, on the field. Tell us about, tell us your thoughts on this game and why it was number two for you. One second. Sorry, I'm pulling up my notes. When you pull up your notes, I'll just kind of make a statement here. The coolest part about this game was how it ended and a Cornell face-up guy who's gotten a lot of flack uh, for his performance of the dot, catching that outlet and going coast to coast and sticking in the back of the net to win, perhaps what might have been the biggest game uh, of his career at Cornell. So that was a pretty yeah, definitely cool the biggest game, game at Cornell in recent memory. Yeah. So but this was uh, definitely a high-scoring offensive game. I mean, eighteen to seventeen, um, and then they played at a neutral field, right? But then they play this at a different yeah. location. Yes, yeah, this, this is part of the Wild Crown Classic, which is played in Charlotte, North Carolina, I believe. Um, excuse me, Cornelius, North Carolina, which is right outside Charlotte. So, Jeremy, what were your thoughts? Um, I 
am looking at it and I am just completely stunned. I actually did not get a chance to see this game, but looking at the box scores and looking at everything, it's kind of insane how many unanswered goals there went. Just runs and runs of five, six points. And for Cornell, honestly, I watched, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this. I definitely would recommend it on YouTube. It's called All Access. And it was from, I, I believe, 2018. And it showcased four of the biggest teams in NCAA lacrosse. And one of those teams was Cornell. And something that they had talked about a lot in that video, which I thought was very interesting, was no matter what happens, no matter who we play, never give up. And I thought that's completely what they did throughout the beginning of their season and especially in this game in the first and second half they were up having predominant scoring from their midfielders then all of a sudden going into the, the third quarter they were just they were losing shots they were not getting the ball uh Penn State's attackmen TJ Malone and Mac O'Keefe along with Grant Amit were absolutely shredding the net and I thought it was very very cool to, it was an exciting game to watch just because it was so high scoring and so intense. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of the Yale-Penn State game from 2018 where I think it's 15-14 final and just back and forth, back and forth. It's incredible. You know, you got to have a strong stomach for those types of games. Defensive coordinators, probably not their favorite tapes to plug into the old uh, VCR. Um, not that I'm dating myself by referencing that. But uh, moving on from our number two game, our number one game is uh, Princeton over UVA. John, tell us why we picked that number one. So I think this is our number one game because this cemented Princeton as a contender this year. Uh, this was Princeton's third game of the year. You know, Michael Sowers got off to that great start, but everyone's like, you know, of course he's going to score 11 points against Monmouth. He's going to score a ton of points against Colgate. But to put up eight points – four goals, four assists against the defending champs in a primetime game like this, where when they Virginia knows, you know, Michael Sowers is their guy, um, this really put them over the top as a contender this year, and that's why it's our number one game. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, this was a, a signature victory. Matt Madeline needed it. He's been working his tail off up there. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge Sowers fan, and I think that he, uh, you know, he was he was set to, to make a run this year with, with Princeton and potentially uh, win the Ivy League, which would have been incredible uh, finish for those guys. Such a bummer they didn't get that. But this is this is a good feather in their cap and um, something I think that will be be pretty cool. So, um, you know, moving on from these, these, obviously these are the games that we highlighted as the, the top games of the year. Uh, you know, we're gonna there was a ton of great games that were played. Um, Richmond Duke was great. Notre Dame Richmond was great. Notre Dame Maryland was great. And there's a ton of games out there, uh, but. You know, moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about the final four teams and make some predictions off of six weeks of lacrosse and to see where we thought this season would end up. So I'll start with the first team that both of you guys have in your final fours, uh, and that's Syracuse. Uh, John, give us a little insight into what you were thinking of why Syracuse is uh, a final four team this year. So I think Syracuse is a final four team because they, they check off all the boxes. You know, they got the number one midfielder line in the country with Curry, Trimboli, that balance each other out. Um, they have attack who can produce with Stephen Rafis, Chase Scanlon. They have a Fogo, Jacob Faub, who's winning 68% of the dot. And they got a goalie in Drake Porter, who's number 10 in save percentage. And I think if, with those factors in mind, I think this and being 5-0, and producing early, I think Syracuse was set 
and built for a long tournament run. And I can really see them hitting the final four. Yeah, not not to mention, you know, Desco's been there for the better part of like three decades and Forever. won a few games in his uh, in his tenure. So just he, a couple. It's yeah. just a couple. So <laughs> I think that, that never hurts to have someone who's been around the block a few times and leading that young group of guys. Um, you know, I had a chance to see Dordovic a ton on the recruiting trail, and and the young man was an animal. He he was a great player, and I think he, you know, I think him getting injured sucks for him last year, but I think it helped Trimboli and Curry have to be better players. And so now that line's even better than it was before. And you know what's funny in that whole thing, you didn't mention Chase Scanlon, which is uh, bananas because he's wearing the number 22. So, yeah. Um, so he's, Syracuse is uh, one of our final four teams. Uh, Jeremy, we'll talk another team that both of you guys have in your final four, and that is uh, North Carolina. What stuck out to you about the Tar Heels that thought you'd, they'd come back to be a, a final four team after last year's finish? What I really, really saw a lot in the the games that I watched this season was the absolute precision of this team. I watched three games where each each game had at least four passes that went directly through the heart of the defense, and they were they weren't thrown with hesitation or or um, anything like that. It was just completely uh, patient waiting, and then at the exact perfect moment, hurled it through the middle of the defense and got it into their crease middies and their outside shooters, and they were just putting up points like crazy. A player that they had that I thought was very interesting, he's already a junior, and this is his first time in really in the spotlight, was Chris Gray, who was my number one favorite player to watch in the 2020 season. In six games, six games, his first time playing in college, he was the number one – I mean, sorry, not, not the number one, the number eight highest in goals in the entire NCAA uh, his very first time actually getting onto the field, which I thought was insane, along with the rest of their their very balanced player, uh, balanced roster that allows for a lot of inside passing, outside shooting, and just absolute torment to the other teams. Great ball movement. Yeah, Carolina was, Carolina was stacked on offense for sure. They had all those freshmen too. Well, they're sophomores this year, but they were freshmen last year who had to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, and then obviously, you know, as, as John noted in his notes, Tanner Cook and Justin Anderson at the midfield were very good. Um, I think the, the, the key for them was going to be Tucci at the faceoff and their, their goalie play. You know, the goalie play was plaguing them last year, and it looked like they have, have made some progress in that department. If nothing else, the competition is, is stronger. So I think they're going to be – I think it's not unfair to say that they could have made the final four. Um, I think you guys are both shooting a little bit for the stars with that pick, but uh, I, I like it being bold. Um, so let's move on here to the next couple teams. Uh, this is where there's a little bit of difference. So, uh, John, let's let's start with you. Um, your your third team in final four is, is the Bulldogs. Uh, tell us why you see them making that run. Yeah, so I think Yale, they usually have that one – stinker in the beginning of the year i think it was villanova has gotten them early the last few years uh umass this year but i think they have the right tools in place um you know they return a starting attack lineup that went to the championship last year with godet randall moral who really bounce each other out uh they returned most of their midfielders that was their one kind of question mark is their offensive midfielders this year and they also have you know the best face-off guy you could say ever in TD Erland, who was winning 76% of his face-offs. Um, so I think Yale figures it out, 
by the end of the year, like they always do, and reaches another Final Four. Yeah, TD, Jackstar, Studs. And anytime you're strong up the middle, you're going to be going to be right there. Um, oddly enough, you didn't even mention Chris Fake, who uh, after a freshman year where he was kind of, I would say, inconsistent in the sense of like playing the top guys being the best. He was very consistent this year. He dominated that Amen matchup the second time around. So definitely made a stride forward as a player. Speaking of the Nittany Lions, uh, Jeremy, you got him in your final four. Why do you have him there? They're attackmen. Plain and simple. <laughs> I, have to be the, simple. I, I have to be the one to say it. Grant Amit, Mac O'Keefe, and TJ Malone, probably the number one attack line in the NCAA this year. And I say that with confidence. They were absolutely yeah. crazy to watch. And the amount of chemistry that they all have on the field, they, can, they were throwing passes to each other without looking 50% of the time. It was absolutely insane yeah and speaking of a great attackman I mean they, they basically Penn State basically said hey we're gonna give up 12 to 14 goals and we're still gonna win all these games um and they did it they, they've been doing it now for a couple of years and it's not like they have bad defense they just play so darn fast it's uh it's hard for them to to always hold teams under 10 uh one, so one with can you, I mention one more thing that I noticed about oh, yeah. them uh, last year, last year they had Grant Amit as their predominant goal scorer for a majority of the season. This year, they kind of switched gears a little bit. Uh, Grant Amit only had 13 goals this season, but he had 31 assists, making it so their second, uh, their second strongest attackman was Mac O'Keefe with 28 goals and eight assists, which just kind of goes to show you how much they really spread the ball when they need to and use the entirety of the of the field and their team. Yeah, all I heard there was that I would have liked that 31 goal, 31 assists in my entire career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll stick with you, Jeremy, for a minute here. Your other Final Four team is kind of a uh, in the dark, uh, a dark horse, if you will, uh, in the Princeton Tigers. Tell us why you see them making it. And don't say Michael Sowers because that's too easy. I mean, so what I actually <laughs> did when I was, uh, I was looking at this, I got rid of – the last spot and I moved Princeton. I'm not, not Princeton. I moved Princeton and Penn state up to number three and they were both just sitting at number three together, mostly for almost the exact same reason. Michael Sowers had 16 goals, 31 assists in five games, in five <laughs> games. Yeah. One, of the, one yeah. of the lowest number of games for any team this season. Also he spread the ball. So he had 16, 16 goals, 31 assists. The rest of their their high goal scores, 13 goals, five assists, 13 goals, one assist, 13, zero, and 11 and two. It's like how he's really kind of single-handedly moving the ball and kind of spreading the love on his team to get the best out of the rest of his teammates, I think. Yeah. You know, Michael Sauer is the easy answer and probably the true answer, but the other player that was probably – two other players I thought were big keys in Princeton's run this year was Eric Peters in goal, uh, stood on his head against UVA. Uh, certainly a big upgrade from where they've been in the past. Um, no, no surprise there. Matt Madelon, a goalie at Roanark uh, years ago. And then um, the, the second was Alex Slusher from Oregon, uh, the freshman this year who was a, a stud on the, on the field and certainly a good, a good Robin to uh, Sowers Batman. So uh, just a couple of quick notes. The other teams that Jeremy had on his outside looking in, but, you know, probably quarterfinal teams were Yale. Maryland, Duke, and Virginia. Uh, 
no surprise there, all studs. Um, so we'll move over to you here, uh, John. And let's talk about your uh, last Final Four team in UVA. So another team I think would eventually figure it out. They actually made our list of on two of the top five games of the year in losses. Uh, but I really think they have the keys in place to really put it all together. Uh, Matt Moore is looking more and more like he's going to one day be the best player in college lacrosse. Um, as soon as uh, Sowers or Teat move on, I think Moore is the guy. Uh, I think he, he's got the right and the tools around him are really successful. Uh, they got two freshman midfielders, Cormier and Garno, who I think were getting better and better after every game. Uh, and I just really liked what Virginia had, and I really think they would have, you know, again, like Yale, found a way to get to the Final Four because they have proven winners on their team. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, anytime you're redshirting a guy like Colin Schellenberger, it's just, I mean, the number one recruit in inside lacrosse uh, – rankings i don't know how you or say the anything other than their final four team right because if you don't think you're making the final four without them you make them play right don't you yeah, yeah. um so, so john a couple of things you i'm sorry I cut you off there uh yeah. your your team's just outside the final four uh cornell maryland denver uh, a little surprise pick there in penn state um so fellas let's just wrap this up here and I'll put a little cherry on top um can each of you pick your uh, NCAA 2020, uh, completely not real, totally virtual uh, champion without using the Twitter poll. <laughs> Jeremy, you That's go first. That's tough. You want me to go first? Yeah, yeah. Give it to us, man. Penn State. Penn we State. Are, baby. With confidence. <laughs> Going with Syracuse. Really? Oh. Going with Cuse. Wow. Okay. Okay. Is that Desco's third title? Fourth title? Fourth title? That's me right up there. That'd be a big, that'd be a big one for Q's to come back and get that. Uh, you know, Penn State certainly, it'd be awesome for Tambo to get it right, considering he was, what, you know, 90 seconds away from getting one with Cornell. So it'd be cool to see him have gotten a, a title. And, and Amy and Mac O'Keefe, probably two of the best attackmen in the history of the game. Um, Final thoughts on the 2020 season. John, I'll go to you. Just disappointed we didn't get to see a lot of these teams, you know, reach their potential. And we missed a lot of lot of quality games. We didn't have any conference play. Uh, what we saw early was a lot of really, really good lacrosse. So at least we got that. Jeremy, thoughts? Uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. I was looking at something else. Final thoughts on the 2020 season. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, something that I was actually really sad about was uh, the Tuaraton race, because I thought it would have been a very, very interesting year for that. A lot of dominant players that had potential to win it. Yeah, it's interesting. You can do a whole podcast on that. How do you choose between Aiken, Sowers, Amen, O'Keefe, you know, Chris Gray? Uh, the list, you know, any of the, yeah, yeah. the Syracuse middies. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, a lot of potential. Hate to see it go. Absolutely. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Uh, you know, we, we're, this is our second podcast. We're gonna keep doing this every week. We really enjoy it. Uh, 
our topics are going to be kind of based on what's what's going on in the lacrosse world. I'm sure we'll talk about the NCAA Division One transfer portal a little bit uh, in the near future. We're kind of waiting to see how things play out before we start just guessing on what's going to happen. But uh, we want to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to talk about or you have some thoughts on, on the year, uh, give us a shout. You can do it on social media. Our Instagram handle is at 101 underscore LAX. That's at 101 underscore LAX. And our Twitter handle is at 101 lacrosse. Uh, for Jeremy, for John, I'm Panchito Ojeda. Thanks for listening. Thank you.